Welcome, Reverend Calisto Odede, with the club. Thank you very much, Richard. It's a great joy and privilege for me to be here to share with you on a passion and uh, something as well that uh, uh, the Lord has encouraged me to be involved in over a number of years. This is touching on uh, the area of uh, missions. It's uh, a kind of a seminar, therefore I will not uh, endeavor to preach, but you'll permit me to just share some thoughts and uh, my heart out with you today as we look at uh, the 11th hour workers uh, in, in, in the area of uh, missions. I'd like to, uh, sorry, I'm getting myself mixed up here. I'd like to, uh, first of all, just allow us to read a portion of scripture and uh, from the book of uh, Matthew. I'd want us to look at Matthew chapter 20 from verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and send them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one once hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, each and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who are borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last.
We are looking at the subject of uh, the 11th hour workers. The passage of scripture that we have read is a familiar passage to a number of people. And uh, the question that we are asking about the 11th hour workers is, is there space for the majority world to be engaged in missions as well? Missions from the south. And as we look at the passage that was set before us, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through verse 16, the Bible talks of a landowner who went out to hire workers, different kinds of workers, to come to his vineyard. He went in the morning, he went at noon, he went in the evening, just one hour before the time of work was over. And each time he found a group of people who were just around, seemingly not doing much. And uh, he asked them to come and work in his vineyard. Now, when pay time came in the evening, those who had only, those who had labored in the morning knew they were going to get a lot of money. Those who only came in in the evening were not too sure what they would get. But when the landowner started paying them, he went out and began paying each person the unequal amount of money. He did not discriminate against them. Both the early ones who started working on very early and the latecomers whom I have referred to as the 11th hour workers because they came at the 11th hour and the 11th hour workers were all paid the same amount of money. Our view of missions seems to be heavily shaped by renowned missionaries of yesteryear. And to many people, these were the heroes of faith and people who should be celebrated. The names of these missionaries reads like Hudson Taylor, Jim Elliott, David Livingstone, Amy Carmichael, and the list goes on and on, people who would be viewed as those who would qualify to be termed missionaries. Now, although Christianity has produced some great spirit, uh, uh, stalwart men and women of God who have made great impact in the world, yet the people who have been at the forefront of making the changes in the world have more often than not been very ordinary people with an extraordinary God. They have not necessarily been the people who are acclaimed. They are the people whom I refer to as the little people, the 11th hour workers. They are the unsung heroes of the kingdom of God. They are people who perhaps came late, late in salvation, late in the work of God, late in the ministry, late in the vision venture. But although they may have come late, they had in their heart this passion and desire to be engaged in serving the Lord and have gone a long way in making a great impact for God. The story of the renowned missionary David Livingstone would have remained untold and silenced were it not for some two individuals, Chuma and Susie. Most of us do not know who Chuma and Susie are we only know David Livingstone. The tired and ill missionary traveling somewhere in Zambia and Malawi was on the verge of death. 
He had a team of servants who were carrying him around and moving with him, crossing the, uh, 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 the, the wilderness and going out uh, through the forest, sometimes fighting wild animals uh, in order to take him to some place uh, where people lived. And this particular evening, uh, they made a little bed for the missionary, David Livingston. And on this bed, when they woke up in the morning, they found the missionary on his knees across the bed in a position of prayer. He had died in the middle of the night. A decision had to be made. And the chief of the area offered, why don't we bury David Livingston here? I will give you a place to bury him. To which Chuma and Zusi responded and said, no, 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 we cannot bury him here. He is an important man. He must be taken all the way to the coast. And so these two servants, Chuma and Suzy, together with a team of close to 40 people, began marching a distance that killed many. As a matter of fact, a number of them were not able to reach the coast, carrying the Makaba cargo, the death, the body of David Livingstone until it reached the harbor. It is because of these two that David Livingstone was finally buried at Westminster Abbey because some two servants, unrenowned and celebrated, were willing to bear the brunt of marching through the wilderness. A journey that took them actually, people estimate between five to six months. And before they set off, they removed the heart of the missionary, buried it in the soil in Malawi somewhere, and said, he loved Africa so much, his heart must remain here, but his body must be taken away to England. Chuma and Zuzi are the little people of the late hour workers. Philip Jensen gives us some statistics concerning the condition and the state of the church. And he says in the year uh, 1900, there were only uh, 550 million Christians in the world. 85% of them were in the Western world, 15% in the non-Western world. In the year 2000, there were 2 billion Christians in the world. 39% of them were in the Western world. 91, sorry, that should not be 91. That should be uh, 71%. I think 61% were in the non-Western world. And then the estimates are that in the year 2025, there will be about 2.6 million Christians in the world. And out of these, only 30% will be in the Western world and 70% will be in the non-Western world. It is Professor Andrew Walls who pointed out in a recent paper on the witness of the church in Africa. And he said... We are all aware of the rapid spread of the Christian faith across Africa in the last century or so. We are all equally aware of the rapid de-Christianization of Europe over the same period. Africa has been steadily moving into the place in the Christian world once occupied by Europe. The implications of this move have not yet been fully realized either by the church in Africa or by the Western Church. He wrote that in 2005. When the church started out, 
historically, one would have said it was a Jewish church. And then through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the church moved on and became more or less a Hellenistic church, Greek-speaking in the world. Then moved on to a period of time when the Roman church became the predominant church. Moved on to the church when Europe reigned in as far as the ministry of the church was concerned. It was the center of Christianity. And there was a shift again when America took over and America became, one would say, the main herald of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, moved on to the period of time in which we are living in now, where the center of gravity, as Professor Andrew Walsh said, has shifted on and is currently in Afro-Asian Latino, where the church is playing the major role. I have questioned and asked, hearing all the things that I'm hearing going on in the Arabic world, whether the next center of Christianity will actually not be the Arabic world. Because it does seem like God is doing some very unique things in the Arabic world that perhaps we have not come to appreciate and even acknowledge. And so it can be said that the majority world currently seems to be the hub and the center of Christianity. The majority world seems to be where conversions are taking place in great numbers. Pastor Rick Warren, in an interview uh, concerning a report that was released by the Pew uh, organization, mentions and says, the last 50 years has seen the greatest redistribution of a, religi of a religion ever in the history of the world. There is nothing even to compare to it. For instance, at the beginning of the 20th century, in 1900, he says 71% of all, quote, Christians lived in Europe, 71%. By 2000, that percentage had declined to 28%, according to Pastor Rick Warren, only 28% claimed to be Christian. And I'm sure it's far smaller than that who actually even go to church. He goes on to say, on the other hand, Christianity was exploding in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. If you want to know the future of evangelicalism, it is in those continents. To give you an example, in 1900, there were only 10 million Christians in all of Africa, 10% of the population. Today, there are 360 million Christians in Africa, over half the population. That is a complete turnaround on a continent that's never, ever been seen or done in history. As a matter of fact, when I read on his quotes a little bit further, he says that the center of Christianity is actually Africa. That Africa is the hub where Christianity is currently. It is therefore the recognition of all these facts that brings us to an understanding and an important role that not only Africa, but the majority world have a role to play in the global cause of mission. 
that we cannot ignore what God is doing in the majority world if we are to see mission ventures uh, touching the rest of the world as it is uh, today. Otherwise, uh, there are issues uh, of concern. As we look at the major shifts in the church today, we begin to ask the question, how are the trends going on? There is a major decline in the churches in the Western world, including in Europe, where a number of churches have been turned into museums, and some are actually being bought even by Muslims. Certainly, it shows us there is a great decline in the Western world, which were the main mission-sending centers of the world in as far as mission is concerned. And the shift has gone on to the south, as we have just seen, the decline in the Western world is not just in terms of the church, the churches only, but it is also in terms of the career missionaries and those who are involved in going out as missionaries. There seems to be more of an increase on short-term missionaries, those who are going out on shorter period of time rather than on traditional career missionaries who would go out and spend the rest of their time and their life investing in mission ventures. As a matter of fact, those who are under 40s from the Western world today in the mission field are a threatened species. They are very few, very, very few, because people have been caught up with raising their families and making ends meet. And so there is a shortage in as far as missionaries are concerned in the non uh, in the rest of the world because the traditional missionary sending parts of the world are not sending as many as they used to send. And this vacuum needs to be fulfilled. We have also been uh, seen a multi-ethnic -eth environment in the West where a number of uh, uh, people have moved in into the Western world. To the extent the Western world has become a, a, a more and more a mixture of people from very, very different parts of the world, creating these mission ventures. Some have moved in as economic, uh, uh, economic, for economic purposes. Others have moved in because of uh, instabilities in their countries and others because of professional pursuit. And all the same, we've seen a great increase in the Western world when it comes to missionaries. The other challenge that has taken place in the West that has also resulted in this is the elastic hermeneutics that, uh, uh, that the Western church has been practicing. As a matter of fact, it's gone to an extent where Christians in the non-Western world are beginning to ask questions on the stability of the church in the West. We are all aware that there are some churches in the West, particularly uh, if we think of either the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Church, uh, where some churches have come under the leadership of the Western Church, some dioceses have come under the leadership of the Nigerian Church, others under the Brazilian Church, because of the feeling that the Western uh, uh, bodies and parts of which they belong have become more and more, not only liberalized, but compromised in terms of their theology. And this is also making it very difficult for the traditional missionaries from the Western world to move into a mission field. Some of us in the non-Western world are beginning to wonder whether we should not, at the ports of entries of our countries, 
begin to uh, begin vetting uh, uh, missionaries uh, and checking out what their beliefs are and quarantine some of them uh, as we process uh, their faith uh, if uh, perhaps uh, they may come in and not necessarily adhere to the traditional Christian faith that we used to adhere to. Now, this does not mean that traditional missionaries from the Western world should stop going out. I am aware that debates, debates have raged, including some that were inspired by a church leader here in Kenya, the Reverend John Gatu, during the Lausanne Congress for World Evangelization where he talked of issuing out a moratorium in terms of limiting the Western missionaries from coming to the non-Western world and his reasons why they treat the Africans as ecclesiastical children. That is what he said during that gathering. That's not what I would go for, a moratorium. Because the mandate that God has given to the church, it is from everywhere to everywhere. It is not from the West to the non-Western world only. Neither is this from uh, uh, the uh, non-Western world or the majority world to the, uh, 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 to the West only. It is from everywhere to everywhere. We have Brazilian missionaries uh, serving in Angola. We have Kenyan missionaries uh, uh, serving in the UK. <coughs> We have Nigerian missionaries serving in the Ukraine and we have Chinese missionaries serving in Northern Africa. It is from everywhere to everywhere. That is the mandate that God gave to the church rather than only one part of the world feeling like they are the only ones who had the Great Commission or another part of the world feeling like they did not hear the Great Commission at all being a receiving mission field all the while, rather than opening themselves up also to be engaged in fulfilling the global cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is from everywhere to everywhere. Now, if that is the case, we need therefore to recapture that heart of mission and mandate that God has given to the church, not only for one section of the world, but for the entire world by looking at what God is saying to us throughout. It is the renowned Christian scholar, Dr. John Stott, who states and says, missions is, an integ is integral to authentic Christianity. Christianity without mission is Christianity no longer, for mission is rooted in the very nature of God himself, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason why this is very, very important to us is to understand that each part of the world has actually had the Great Commission and each part of the world has been called upon to respond to the Great Commission by uh, accepting what the Lord is telling uh, that part of the world. Not only one part of the world, this captures uh, even the majority world as well. Rose Dossett serving with Overseas Missionary Fellowship, once said, to ignore the imperative to be mission-breathing, mission-living people, shows a total misreading of both the Old and New Testaments. We simply can't be authentic Bible-believing Christians and not be missionary Christians. We can't be an authentic church and not be a missionary church. 
for our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is most profoundly a missionary God. And we who are made in his image are called to reflect his nature, his truth, his heart concern. Missions is no divine afterthought. It is integral to everything. And if missions is integral to everything, the Western Christians need to be engaged in missions. The Eastern Christians need to be engaged in missions. The Southern Christians need to be engaged in missions. People from every part of the world need to take on the responsibility of being involved and engaged in missions because missions is an integral part of everything that we do. Another author, Tim Diabon, says, Christian mission is not our arrogant pursuit of other people to make them like us. Rather, it is our participation in God's pursuit of all people to make them like him and their lives like his. The God of mission has given his church to the world. It is not the church of God that has a mission in the world, but the God of mission who has a church in the world. He's saying God has a church in the world and the responsibility has given to that church in the world is to go out and be a mission church. And so this is for every part of the world regardless of geographical locality. And having recognized this mandate, we need therefore to examine and find out how then will we be able to engage in this. I picked out four areas and groups or categories that I think are pertinent and important in this venture that I quickly want to just run through and then head towards a conclusion. That there is a table of missions. And on this table of missions, each part of the world is bringing their giftings to the table of missions. One part and section of the world may be gifted in one area than another area. But we are all coming together on the table of missions, bringing the tools of missions with our giftings, with our abilities, and with our resources. And God has put those abilities and those giftings differently. We are not all the same. We are gifted in very, very diverse and different ways. If we were to ask the American church, perhaps they would say one of their giftings is publications of materials. They produce a lot of materials. If we were to ask the Nigerian church, perhaps they would say one of their giftings is prayers. If we were to ask the Chinese church, they would say perhaps one of their giftings is perseverance under difficult situations and conditions. And each part of the world has been gifted in very, very different ways. And so there are those that are vision holders in each sections of the world. There are those that I call the workers. There are those that I call the funders. And there are those that I call the prayers. And uh, the vision holders are the mobilizers. They are the ones who are engaged in recruiting. They are the ones who are involved in training. 
And they train individuals, they mobilize these individuals and train them and equip them and prepare them. They hold the visions that the church must go. Some of them may be pastors, some of them may be missionary, uh, uh, missionary executives, but individuals who hold the vision that the church must be engaged in missionary venture. And so they go out in order to proclaim and, and to mobilize others and recruit and train and send them to be involved in missions. I call them the vision holders. Then we have the workers. And the workers would go out in very different categories. Some of the workers would go out in the marketplace using their professions and their careers. And I think this is the category in which we have majority of people who are involved in the medical professions going out as medics and using their profession in the marketplace, that opens for them doors that perhaps they would not have uh, had access to if they had gone in any other way. One of the Christian leaders uh, has given uh, an example. What he defines uh, as uh, the difference between uh, a lizard and a frog. And he says, uh, a lizard and a frog are all the same in terms of uh, what they eat. They all eat insects. But the difference lies in their mannerism. The frog would stay in the pond, making noise and quacking, or, or, while by its very nature, the lizard is a hunter. And because the lizard is a hunter, it doesn't just stay in the pond waiting for an occasional fly to come by and then it flips its tongue to uh, uh, grab that fly. It goes out into uh, the world. It goes out. Even if you go to State House, you look in a corner somewhere, you'll see, or the White House, you might see a lizard in a corner somewhere. By its very nature, it is a hunter. And that is exactly what those who are using their careers like the doctors are compared to clergymen like myself, the pastors. We stay in the church and we croak in the church and we make our noises. Occasionally, uh, there is someone who comes in who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. We flip our tongues and we catch that and bring them to the kingdom of God. But because the professionals are people who can be able to go anywhere using their professions, they can penetrate some countries that none of us as clergymen can be allowed to go in to exercise our duties. And they are able, therefore, to make a great impact in the rest of the world as professionals, including those who do not necessarily become career missionaries, but those who are tent-making, still using their careers and professions in order to gain income. There are those who are workers engaged in cross-cultural ministry. There are those who are storytellers who go out and tell the stories about the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those who are funders. They fund mission ventures, individuals, churches, organizations who are greatly involved in funding mission ventures. And there are those who are prayers. They are engaged in praying and committing issues to the Lord as they pray. Now, which way forward as we look ahead 
an old African man thinking, where do we go from here? There are several options that have been followed. The traditional option was what I would call paternalism. And paternalism, it is only one section of the world that considers themselves as missionaries. And they go out and they dominate the mission field. They decide the agenda. They decide the programs. They dominate what is going on in the mission field. That is what I would call paternalism. Now, God has not called us to be engaged in paternalism. If we exercise only paternalism, that one part of the world is dominating in mission ventures, we are killing the vision of God because it is the mandate of God that requires that every part of the world should go out. It's amazing what happened to uh, China after expatriate missionaries uh, were sent out of China, that that nation suddenly exploded in Christianity to the extent uh, that uh, today they are talking of close to 150 million uh, uh, Christians uh, in, in that country alone. Amazing what is going on in that country. We had a similar experience in Ethiopia a number of years ago when missionaries uh, were actually sent out all that they did was leave the believers with the Bible. And using the Bible, the believers were able to make a great impact to the extent the church, particularly in the Walamo district of Ethiopia, exploded in growth. The other way is, well, let each one be depend on themselves, parting ways and parting company. This may not be a recommended attitude. That everyone go their own direction. Everyone design their own plan. People are clashing in the mission field. You're duplicating methods. You're rubbing one another the wrong way. Because each one is doing their own thing wherever they are. And every section and part of the world are feeling like we need to play our own role. That may not be a good direction. Developing parallel ministries also may not be a recommended way. It is uh, uh, P.K. Yohanan from uh, uh, India who insists, uh, speaking to Western audiences, he tells them, please don't send missionaries to India. Only send your money. Now, that may not be good because uh, people don't give their money until their sons are feeling the pain. People like their money to follow the pathway that their sons and their daughters uh, have followed as well. And uh, so it's a joint venture, both the giving and uh, the sending. Parallel ministry, therefore, may not necessarily be recommended. A recommended view would be partnership. And in partnership, uh, we are recognizing the fact that each part of the world has been gifted in a very, very different way. And that each part of the world has a strength. And each part of the world has a weakness. And we are bringing our strength together in partnership. And as we bring our strength together, we are able to move ahead and achieve much. In doing so, we need to take care of certain things. We need to take care of stereotypes that lead to ethnocentrism in the mission field. Some stereotypes that are brought about about certain sections of the world. An individual has written a book 
uh, uh, called My African Brothers and Money. And uh, when it comes to mission ventures, uh, sometimes those kinds of stereotypes uh, actually take people a long way in lack of cooperation and in missing the direction that God would want us to go. In partnership, many issues certainly need to be discussed, but they need to be discussed with an understanding of uh, uh, we are together in this. Styles of leadership become issues in partnership. The agenda or rather who sets the agenda becomes issues in partnership. And I do know we have a plenary session on this, so I will not venture to go into details in this area. What, therefore, does the global south bring to the table of missions? At some point, I was involved with a, a group of people in discussing partnership in missions where we had individuals from different parts of the world. The first day, the meeting went on very well. The second day, had a lovely meeting. But somewhere, the discussion about money came in. The meetings couldn't go on very well because of the discussions of money. Each section asking who will pay the cost of missions. At that point, we decided to sit separately and discuss in our different groups on what actually do we bring to the table of missions from the sections of the world where we come from. And uh, it was a very useful exercise because each part of the world then came up with a list of things that they considered that was as what they were bringing to the table of missions, a list that was extremely helpful in setting uh, the directions forward in our deliberations and in our discussions. But permit me to say that the global south, consisting of uh, Africa, Asia, and uh, Latin America, are very easily adaptable to new cultures. The reason they are easily adaptable to new cultures is that already in their setting, they are living in a multi-ethnic situation. And because they are living in a multi-ethnic situation, they have gone to live with people who are different from them. And subsequently, they have adapted very, very easily to, uh, they adapt very, very easily to new cultures. That's a gift, that's a strength in the mission field. Simple lifestyles. Some of them do not need a fridge, do not need big things. They will go out and with very minimal material, they will actually survive in the mission field. The gift of hospitality, the generosity that is within the non-Western world is an amazing gift that actually could be utilized in the mission field. The evangelistic zeal you only need to hear reports of what is happening across the world, especially in Africa, in Latin America, when it comes to conversion. And you'd be surprised by the number of people who are getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the majority of these, it is because of the evangelistic zeal within the global south. People who are zealous to share with others about the Lord Jesus Christ without any shyness at all. 
the passion for prayer, the belief in miracles and the supernatural. In some parts of the world that have had postmodernity coming in, modernity and postmodernity have reached a place where there is pluralism and people are turning uh, to some Eastern religions because they are looking for an encounter with the supernatural. The, uh, the, the, the majority world or the global south are extremely open to the supernatural and because of that they are able to make an impact in a place where the worldview of people are open to the supernatural and that is a gift and a strength. Servant attitude and a willingness to serve. And some of the things that is happening, some of the things that are happening that perhaps we need to pay attention to is the growing economic muscles of the South. There is a growing economic muscle of the South. Brazilian missionaries, uh, Brazil actually has uh, close to 1,700 missionaries spread across the world and many more are going out uh, and they are fully supported by Brazil. Nigerian missionaries uh, going out and supported by Nigerians. And uh, uh, we're beginning to have that in Kenya as well. Missionaries that are going out and supported by Kenyans. And there is a growing economic muscle in the global south. And uh, because of this, there needs to be a partnership with this muscle so that it can be utilized in order to further the kingdom of God. The increase of the number of professionals uh, that are within this continent because of education and increased openness to education, we are having more and more professionals, doctors and other professionals in the field who actually are available as workers and can go out and make a great impact if they offer themselves. I conclude with the fact that God is calling us to be involved in rescue operations. A group of people were involved in rescuing those who had difficulties with their ship. They would occasionally capsize on the ocean. But since they were not doing this every day, someone suggested, why don't we be making some coffee and donuts here so that when uh, we are waiting or when uh, we bring these people out, they are hungry, we can be able to serve them on this. So they did. A little while later, they said, why don't we be selling this to make some profit? So they did. And very soon, there was a booming business of making donuts and selling coffee and the operation of rescuing those who were perishing was utterly and completely forgotten. And God is calling us not to forget his task, but to be involved to the uttermost. I read this letter, an open letter. What would be your response? Dear Christians, I have been authorized by God to give you this message. You are to go to all people everywhere and call them to become my disciples. You are to baptize them and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Don't forget, I will be with you always to help you, even to the end of the world. I will never forsake you because I love you. Please don't forsake me. With all my love, Jesus Christ. This is how 
a number of us would respond. Dear Jesus Christ, we acknowledge receipt of your memo. Your proposal is both interesting and challenging. However, due to a shortage of personnel as well as several other financial and personal obligations, we do not feel that we can give proper emphasis to your challenge at this time. A committee has been set and appointed to study the plan and its feasibility. We should have a report to bring to our congregation sometimes in the future. You may rest assured that we will give this our careful consideration and our boards will think about it for some future action. We appreciate your offer to serve as our resource person and should we care to undertake this project sometime later, we will be in contact with you cordially, the Christian. What would be your response? I pray that our response would be, yes, we have a role to play in reaching out, even if we are coming late as the 11th hour workers. Thank you very much. <laughs>